Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to show us what you would like us to see from this and ask you to guide and lead. And we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 16, starting at verse 1. And he said also to his disciples, There was a certain rich man that had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of you? Give an account of your stewardship, for, for you may not uh, you may be no longer a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord takes away my stewardship. I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do that, when I am put out of the stewardship, that I may receive, that so they may receive me into their homes. So he called every one of his lord's debtors and said unto him, and said unto the first, How much do, do you owe my lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take your bill and, and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much we owe you? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are, are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make yourself friends of mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, you may receive into, into you everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in, in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in least is unjust in also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not, if you have not been faithful in, in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And when you read this, one, this section in this story, it's kind of an interesting one to try to figure out, because it seems confusing at first. But we have to remember, first off, there's the story part of this, and then there's Jesus' comment on this. So you have to break it down into the two parts to, to be able to begin with. So Jesus is telling the disciples that there was this servant who was supposed to take care of people, another person's property. And obviously he was not doing a good job of it because they're telling him he's wasting your goods. Now it doesn't tell us whether he was wasting them upon himself, making bad investments. It kind of indicates that he was doing it a little bit of uh, five finger discounts of the guy's uh, property. Uh, taking it himself, because you, know, you can defend yourself from making unwise investments. You know, you're taking care of somebody else's stuff and you make a bad investment, you can kind of defend it was, I thought it was going to be good and it turned around. But uh, you know, he's accused of not taking care of what belongs to the master. And for us as Christians, this is something we need to take serious. Everything that we own or think we own belongs to God. We are his stewards. Now that doesn't mean we can't use some of the stuff for ourselves, but it does mean that we need to be looking first and foremost to how is God being honored by the way we use our stuff. And this is something that's very important, and this is part of the story behind this. And when he calls out to the guy, his goes, his got a very interesting answer. He knows he's going to be fired. You know, he, he has no defense, and his question is, what am I going to do when I lose my stewardship? 
He goes, I have this cushy executive job. I get to tell everybody what to do. I get to spend the master's, master's good. He goes, I am not capable of doing manual labor. He goes, I can't dig. I can't go out to the farm and do digging. I can't, I can't fill the potholes in the roads. I can't lay bricks. And he goes, and I'm too proud to beg. And he's going, what can I do? And this is something that we had to be very careful of because it is so easy to decide that I'm going to do whatever it takes to live and do what I think is best. Now, I've always been in the case that you know, whatever it takes to make a living for my family, I was going to go do. You know, um, and it just, that's what it took. And I do know a lot of people that aren't that way. Now, now would I like to go out and dig ditches and build buildings and that kind of stuff? Absolutely not especially not at my age, but even when I was younger, I didn't like that kind of work. I've always been the one that likes to tell people what to do. <laughs> you know, I've always been in management and I enjoyed those positions. And he's sitting there, what can I do? How can I get this taken care of? And he comes up with this interesting idea of how he's gonna take care of himself. And it says, he goes, I know what I'll do. He goes, I am resolved. I have decided I know what I'm going to do. And he's going to do something very interesting. And he goes out and he says, I will put in this, the stewardship. When I put out of my stewardship, I'm going to do something so that when I'm out there, I will be received by these people. So what does he do? He calls in all the people who owes the master money and starts cutting their bills. What's he doing? He's intensifying the stealing of his master's stuff. And why is he doing this? His attitude was in the, in the Middle East, and it's still true to this day, if you show up at dinner time in a Middle Eastern home, by the standards of their day and by their, you will be invited for dinner. Whether you're an enemy, a friend, it doesn't really matter. You show up at dinner time and you'll be invited for dinner. And if you've don't do, if you play your cards right, you'll have a place to stay overnight because it's dangerous to be outside. And this is true even today on the Bedouins and everything. If you show up in a Bedouin community, they will give you dinner and put you, give you a place to sleep and they will guarantee your safety and everything overnight because that is their customs. So he's saying, I'm going to make sure these people feel indebted to me. He's following the way of the world. You know, I just saved you, you know, the guy that owed him oil, he took 20% right off the top and said, you don't know, you, you know, change your bill to, or excuse me, oil was 50%. He took 50% of that guy's well, uh, debt. And the guy that owed wheat took 20% of his debt and goes, here, you don't know, you, you just got, saved a lot of money. How many times do people try to manipulate those around them to get something? This is not the way that God is saying to do it, but this is the unjust. And this is why we call him the unjust or the shrewd steward. He is manipulating people's attitudes toward him. And we want to be careful about that because when God tells us to love other people, to forgive other people, to do good to them, in general, we get good back to them and all of that. But you know, we're not doing it to get the result. And I hope that's the reason you're not doing it. When we love somebody, we're doing it because God said to love them. And if they still don't love us, it doesn't matter. Because our service is to God, not because I'm trying to get them to be nice to me. 
Because I've, I've met people and they're going, well, I was being nice to that person. I loved them and they still were mean and nasty to me. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that God says they're going to be nice to us just because we love them. Matter of fact, he said, love those that despitefully use you. And he doesn't promise that they're going to stop despitefully using us. He doesn't tell us that they're going to all of a sudden say, oh, this person's just so nice to me, I'm going to, I'm going to like them. Our service is to God. The, our obedience is to God. This man is doing everything nice to people to manipulate and saying, well, you know, hey, if they don't put up with me, then I'll just kind of remind them that they owe, they owe me. I saved them a bunch of money. It's time for them to pay back. And this is his mentality. He's playing the world's games. And we've covered this in many places. Jesus said, don't invite people to, to your dinner that can pay you back. He goes, go out to the street corners and take the people off the street and bring them in. He goes, you know, if you're giving it only to those who will invite you back, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And he said, be kind and, he, and all these other things. And here is this man doing everything so that he can try to earn somebody else's gifts in the future. And you know, this is where we are oftentimes, and hopefully not us as Christians, but the world especially, thinking, I hope I'm good enough when I get to stand before God to say I, I have earned heaven. I don't know how many times you've, you've done it, but I talk to lots of people about, Christ, you know, about how to go to heaven, and I hear so much, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. You hear it all the time. And maybe you had that problem before you got saved. Hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. Well, the answer according to the Bible is you're not. I'm not. Nobody in this room is. Nobody we talk to is good enough to go to heaven. The Pope isn't good enough to go to heaven. <laughs> All right? Nobody is good enough to go to heaven on their own merit. Because we're told that one sin is all it takes to keep us out. And if Jesus then came to earth to die for us, and yet this man is trying to say, I hope I'm good enough to earn reward. This is something that is so interesting because this is the way the world thinks. I'm going to get enough. I'm going to do enough that people will be indebted to me, that God will be indebted to me. How they figure that, I have no idea. You know, I'm going to be good enough that God is going to be indebted to me because of all the good things that I do. You know, which is really silly because if you know your Bible, you know that that doesn't work because Isaiah says our righteousness is filthy rags in God's sight. So all the good that I do, God looks down and says, well, boy, what a bunch of filthy garments you're wearing. You're trying to impress me with all those rags on you? Have you ever seen somebody who's maybe dressed up with the best clothes they can and they still don't look all that good? You know, it happens. It's not their fault necessarily. But this is the way people are on earth before God. They dress up in their best works and still stand before God in, in filthy garments. And this is what this man is doing. He is setting up to be able to stand before these people and say, hey, I was so nice to you. Give, give me a room for a couple days. Take care of me for a couple days. I, I, you know, I saved you a lot of money. Kind of a very wicked, wicked man even. And this also tells us what his character is like. Because how long had he been stealing from his master and manipulating his master's money to take care of himself rather than the master? And now he's using the master's money to take care of himself after he's lost his job. 
But it's very interesting when you look at this, and I want to just point out this verse is the one that makes it so hard to understand this verse, but we all remember it's not God speaking, it is the servant, the master of this servant speaking. In verse 8 it said, And the Lord commended him, the unjust servant, because he had done wisely, for the children of the world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. This idea of commending him, he was not commending him because he had stolen from him. You got to get this idea. He's not commending him for his theft. All he did was put the last nail in a coffin for, for getting fired by stealing from him in a very clear way. But he's going, well, at least you took care of yourself in the future. You're very shrewd. You're, you're, you're thinking ahead. And for the world, I think God does have this little bit of attitude. Well, you were trying, I guess, but you didn't do it the right way. And he's preparing, and very interesting when it says, that when you fail, note that it says when you fail, you are going to lose your job. You are going to lose heaven for us as Christ, you know, for us, those of the world, that you may receive, that you may they may receive you into everlasting habitation. We want to realize that when we die physically, we enter into an everlasting existence. We have two choices. It will be either heaven or hell. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's come in, washed our heart, and, and washed our sins and put his righteousness on us, we will dwell in heaven forever. If we have rejected the gift of Jesus, our home will be forever in hell. And hell is a place you don't want to be. That's described as a place of burning forever, a place of the conscience burning you forever, a place of torment, of pain, of lack of love, lack of caring, and a desire to be out of it. And I don't know how bad that's going to be, but I don't want to experience it. You know, I've had severe pains every once in a while in my life. I've suffered from gout, which is painful, and I don't wish it on anybody, and that's probably nothing compared to what hell is. You know, now I don't know what pains you've experienced that are terrible, but just imagine that pain multiplied by a million and that would be what hell is going to be like. And yet there are people that are choosing hell by rejecting Jesus. And I've heard all kinds of reasons to reject Jesus. You know, the one I hear most often, well it's too simple. You're right, it is way too simple to just choose Jesus and go to heaven and you, it's so simple that you're not going to do it. Which makes it pretty hard. You know, when people say it's too simple, they're just saying, well, it's too hard for me because my pride is going to get in the way. And they need to lose their pride and choose Jesus. And it is simple. It's so simple that the youngest child can understand that they're a sinner that needs Jesus. Adults need to humble themselves because we like to do things and say, I earned what I got. We like to show off. This is what I got. I, I earned it. You know, and we're even encouraging. One of the things we do with our Kids, as they grow up, is do a good job so that you can, you know, get a, get a good job, get good pay, get, get stuff. And unfortunately, we give them, it's good worldly advice, but it's not necessarily the best advice to get them spiritual. You know, because we're teaching them to be independent and self-supporting. And it's great. I love that. I'm glad that all my kids are able to stand out on their own and, and survive. But when it comes to salvation that's not a good attitude 
I don't want to be standing on my own strength to, for being saved. I don't want them standing on their own strength to be saved. Because it's only by Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And this is very important. He's not being commended because of his stealing from the Master. He's being commended that you're at least taking thought. You're trying to do something for yourself. Now, that's not God's attitude. This is the world's way of thinking. Now, up until this point, it's all been the way the world thinks. And the world tells us, do what's best for you. It doesn't matter whether it's good for somebody else. It's got to be what's good for you. That is not God's answer. That is not God's way. And now we get into God's answer to all of this as he goes in. Um, he says to them, he... Uh, make yourself, oh, excuse me, verse 9. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much, and, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? This is something that's very important to us. How do you handle the smallest job that comes your way? I have met a lot of people that go, well, I'm going to ignore this small job and I, I just want the big jobs. Don't give me any small jobs. I just want to do big jobs. No, that's, number one, you're never going to get a big job if you don't do the small jobs. Not if you have a good manager. You know, I did not, you know, if I had somebody in my, in my employee when I was managing places who would not go out and sweep the floor, mop the floor, clean the bathrooms, there was no way I was using them to do the big jobs that needed to be done. You know, their reward for doing the small job was that they were faithful in the small jobs that they would get the bigger jobs because I knew they would get it done. If they couldn't do the small jobs, I didn't trust them to do the big jobs. How does this work in practicality? There was a day that I was, used to work as a car salesman. And I was bored one day. There was very little going on. So I started making the cars lined up, making the lot look nice and neat. So I was out there moving cars. I got called in. You know, and my boss goes, okay, why are you all just sitting around doing nothing? Go out there and move the cars. And he says, except for you, Ralph, you stay here and man the phones. I'm going, that's boring. It was great because that's where you got the phone calls and got customers coming in. It was a great place to be. He goes, no, you're getting the reward. So now I got to sit in the air-conditioned building, listening, waiting for the phone to go off, doing what they were doing, supposedly, <laughs> before, because I had taken and, and done something that was least. You know, does it always work that well? No. I could have been out there all day rearranging cars and never got re rewarded for it except through God being faithful. We need to understand there is faithfulness. How do we handle the simplest jobs that God puts in, our, in front of us? Do we share the gospel with, with friends and neighbors? You know, and this is something that's very interesting. You know, a lot of people are afraid to share with friends the gospel message. They're right there in front of you. They supposedly like you, and you're still afraid to tell them about Jesus? You know, I don't understand that. It's much easier to tell somebody you know about Jesus than somebody you don't know. Now, and yet, God is saying, here's the simple ones. You're not even taking care of the simple. And you want to tell me you want to go out and do street evangelism, you want to knock on doors, you want to do whatever, and you can't even talk to friends and family. He gives us a simple requirement. He says, 
read the word and learn the word and how many people do not spend time in God's word now I know our church is a little better because I've encouraged reading God's word for nine years and I encourage us to read his word daily make it through the whole Bible each year now is it a law and a recommend you know and all that no but I can tell you the benefit of it is great the people that I have seen reading the Bible every day for the, and reading through the Bible every year, I have watched their lives greatly change as God's word indwells in them. And you're going, well, what's, what's the big deal? God says his word does not return void. Just reading his word, making his word a priority. And people will go, well, I don't have time to read God's word. And my, my question is real simple, not to be condemning, but how much TV did you watch? You know, how much, how many movies did you watch? How much movie did, uh, music did you listen to? Could you have taken 15 or 20? Could you have skipped one show each night and turned it into Bible reading? Now, it doesn't take long to read three, three chapters, and it just takes three chapters a day to make it through the whole Bible in a year. You know, uh, most of us can read three chapters in 10, 15, 20 minutes. Do we have God first? Are we taking care of him in the least areas of our life? You know, people go, well, I want to see God do something big in my life. Are you doing the little things? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in, in his word? Are you spending time with him in fellowship? Are you spending time in fellowship with the church? You know, I love our church. You know, when I first got here, people got out of church as fast as they could at the end of service. Now we can't get rid of you all. And I, and I don't mind that. Believe me, I don't mind it. I like the fact that people stay and talk and, and fellowship. It's wonderful. It's the way it should be. You know, so we want to be understanding these little things. Are we faithful in little things before God? Are we going to trust him in the little things that don't seem to be, you know, all I'm doing is reading your word, God. What's, what's the big deal? God says, perfect. It says perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. All of these things that we do, do we spend time in his word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We can go through all the verses that he says this is the importance of the word. His word teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to deal with people. It teaches us everything that we need to know. And if we fill our heart with his word, then when it's time to reach out and do something big, it'll be there. And God will say, this is why I wanted you to be faithful in the small things. So now when I bring this big thing in, you are prepared and ready. Peter tells us to be ready to give to every man an answer for the hope that lies within us. Do you have answers for what you believe? Now, I've been in church a long time and I have met so many people over the years that said, well, I just have faith and I believe. I'm going, I'm glad that you have faith and that you believe, but what do you believe? And why do you believe it? Because when trials hit to challenge your faith, Faith gets shook up if you don't have a reason behind it. Now, can we know everything about it? No, but we need to know enough that when we are struggling, we hold on to it. 
Because it is real easy to say, you know, let's use Romans 8.28, my favorite verse, for all things work together for good for those that love God and called according to his purpose. It is real easy to say, God, I believe that you work all things together for good when nothing's going wrong. Isn't it? God, I know you're going to work everything to good because nothing is going on. I'm, going, I'm, I'm on this nice sea. It's smooth as glass. There's no storm anywhere. I can see the shore on the other side that we're going to. There's no problems anywhere. And all of a sudden, the storm comes along. And in the middle of the storm, do you still believe that God works all things together for good? When your carpet has been pulled out from under you and, and you're on your way to work and somebody hits you and totals your car and you go to the hospital and you're in the hospital for a while and then your job decides, well, you've been gone for so long that we're going to take your job away. And you're going, uh, God, you still work all things together for good, I think. Or is it God works all things together for good? Even though my whole world is falling apart, God still works to get all things together for good. This is where it becomes important. Do I still trust God when my life seems to be falling apart? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is one I recommend everybody memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. What a powerful verse. This unrighteous servant did not trust God. He's doing things the world's way. He's not putting his trust, and it's easy, believe me, I understand, it is easy not to, not to trust God with all your heart. Make your own decisions. God, I think this is the best thing. This is what everybody recommends. I'm going to go do it. Because I think it'll be good. And we find out that it's usually not good. And then he takes us to the next step, and he says, if, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, one of the things that people usually end up, they, they take and they look at the word mammon, and they go, well, that is money. Yes and no, but it is money personified. It is the God of money. He goes, if you're not even taking care of money and making it a God, why would God entrust you with real riches? And you know, I understand this problem. We live on this world. We need money, unfortunately. You cannot go to the store and get anything without money. You can't keep your car running without money. You can't even have a car without money. You can't have insurance without money. I mean, you, you need money to survive. I need money to survive. But the question is, where does money fit in our hierarchy? Is money really important to say, God, I've got to have money, I've got to have money, I've got to have money, or is God what's important? Do I trust God or do I trust money? And this I've seen in many, especially older people. They're getting ready to retire and they're going, all right, how much Social Security am I going to get? How big is my 401k? How big is my, my company retirement plan? Uh, do I have enough money to, to be able to do what I want to do for retirement? Now, there's some wisdom in that. I'm not saying don't do those things. I've got a 401k. I've got money put away in Social Security. But is my hope and my trust in those accounts? No, my hope and trust is in God. Now, I'm looking forward to it. I've done everything I can do in a wise way to provide for the future. But if God chooses that the whole economy is going to fall apart and all those things fall away, they fall away. 
and then I will just have to listen to God and do whatever it is he tells me to do for the rest of my life. Which is what I have to do anyway. What you have to do anyway is listen to God and be prepared to do what he has asked you to do. Is my hope and trust in, in the money as a God or is my hope and trust in God? I believe that my hope and trust is in God. But there are times when I make decisions that show that it's not. You know, probably the same for everybody in this room. There's times that you've made decisions based on what's best for the money situation rather than God. God does really great things with us. Number one, he asks us to give a tithe. God, I can't, give, I can't live on 100% and you want me to give you 10% of it? And God says, yes. Who do you trust? Do I trust my money or do I trust my God? Now, when you're poor, it's pretty easy to give a tithe. Now, my, my God, I only made $100 this week. You can have $10 because I can't buy anything with $10. Or very little for $10. You can't even go to a fast food restaurant anymore for $10. You know, uh, and, but if the more money you make, God, I made uh, $4,000 this month. Uh, you want 400 of it? It gets a little tougher the more money you make. And you know what? The statistics tell us that. The poorer people are, the more likely they are to tithe. The more money people have, make, the less likely they are to tithe. And even though I'm not that here, I've been a treasurer in other churches, and I've seen that to be true. People that I know that make lots of money give very little money to the church. Very little. Not 100% of them. But you know, where is your trust? What is it that you're placing your trust in? Are you putting it in money or any other God for that matter? Or are you putting your trust in God? And then he ends this section up with, no servant can serve two masters. Either will hate one and love the other or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Question for us, each one of us, and that's what we need to decide. Who will you serve? Will you serve God or anything but God? In this case, he was talking about money, and that's usually what people will choose over God. Sometimes people will choose pleasure. Sometimes they'll choose themselves. Who are you going to serve is so important for us. Why do we need to make this decision? There's all kinds of verses in here. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods on the other side of the Jordan or our God. This is Joshua challenging the people. Who will you serve? And then he goes, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a question we need to decide for ourselves. Who will we serve? Are we going to serve God or anything else? Other verses on this would be 1 Kings 18.21, John 6. Can't read my own writing. It's in John 6. <laughs> God expects us to make a decision. He requires us to make a decision. Who will we serve? We need to make that decision more than one time even. 
Because as we go through life, other things pop up. Satan, Satan does not stop tempting us just because we decide to serve God. Matter of fact, he intensifies the attack on us. So today I decide, God, I'm going to serve you with all my heart and, and, and strength, and I do good for about a week or two. And then Satan comes along with a little bit of temptations, a little bit of desires, and says, well, how about, how about now? Are you really going to serve God? Yeah. You've got a chance to take the next step up the, up the job if you will just not quite do things God's way. If you just do this ungodly act, you can, you can be promoted and you'll have a lot more responsibility and money. If you just do this, you'll have more status. If you just don't go to church for a couple weeks and spend time doing this, you'll, you'll, you'll get this. We need to continually ask ourselves, who are you serving? Over and over again, who are you serving? And ask yourself, maybe not every day, but uh, probably at least once a week, maybe every day if you're struggling with it, who am I choosing to serve today? Who am I choosing to serve this week? And we all have problems. Most of us in this church are getting older. It's easy to come up with aches and pains and say, God, I can't do anything today because I am in so much pain, I can't do anything. All right, well, we're putting our own pain and aches above God. Believe me, I understand. It's hard sometimes just to walk. It's hard sometimes to get out of bed. It's, you know, we need to understand who are we serving with every single opportunity who am I serving is important to, to call out. So my challenge for us today is choose today who you will serve. And not just today, each day following. Who will you serve? We're going to bow here. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will confess that they're a sinner and accept your death on the cross for their, in their place and ask you to come into their heart and be their Lord and Savior. Lord, for all those of us that are Christians, Lord, we ask you to really impress on us to keep asking ourselves constantly, who will you serve? Who will I serve today? God or anything but God? And we just thank you for all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us, so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says, That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. 
I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.